0: Alicia? Michael? What's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. I'm actually surprised that your rant line, raid line, whatever, isn't completely full.
2: Why can't we just win a game?
1: Can I blame Michael Castillo for this?
2: Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Could I put on a zebra shirt and just go out
0: there? Scratch. Claw. Up against the wall.
2: Can't explain it, what I'm feeling right now, guys.
1: Let's open up that raid line. Woohoo!
0: Oh, I can't believe USC is. Going to do the same thing again year after year. Oh no! Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Rand of Troy Radio, episode 356, coming to you on Wednesday, January 29th. We're going to talk about the latest USC football news, including Todd Orlando officially being announced as USC's defensive coordinator, CJ Pollard hitting the transfer portal and some recruiting news before we open up the mailbag. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Reign of Troy, like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Reign of Troy. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, Google Play, and Spreaker. Our bonus episodes are on Patreon, patreon.com slash Reign of Troy. Our email address is Troy at fanside.com and our phone number is 213 373 one eight seven two. I'm your host, Michael Castillo. Join along with my co-host, Alicia Daratola.
2: Hello, everybody.
0: Hello, Alicia. It has been a rough couple of days in, in l a. Um, our heart goes out. It, I feel like we'd be remiss to talk about anything else first. um, but the the loss of Kobe Bryant and eight other people in a horrific uh, helicopter crash uh, on Sunday. Uh, his his daughter, uh, and and his teammates and parents and so many lives lost in that thing, and uh, it, it's it's been rough, and it makes a lot of uh, what we talk about on this podcast super trivial. So bear in mind that's that's where we're at right now, um, and um, we're gonna talk about more about Kobe at the end of the pod. Uh, we got some questions about Kobe in the mailbag. Um, but it's been it's it's not been fun.
2: Yeah, it, it's one of those events that will stick in your in your mind forever. I've I've been talking to people about comparing it to, you know, John Lennon or um, I don't
0: know, uh, I Buddy Princess Holly.
2: Princess yeah, Princess Die. like yeah, one of those ones. I, I, were, I like
0: how you go to the examples that neither of us were alive for. Well,
2: but the, I talk, you know. The, generations talk about those moments right like my mom always talks about and this is an even bigger moment but my mom always talks about the exact moment where she was what she was doing exactly how she felt um when uh jfk was shot uh you hear people talking about pearl Harbor. it's one of those like and and in a in a weird way because we're talking about a a basketball player but but for people who grew up in los angeles as you and i did like i feel like it was that kind of day like I was in San Jose um, getting ready to drive home. I had been visiting my brother over the weekend. And so I was literally in the driver's seat of the car getting ready to say my goodbyes when I got the text from you. And then I jumped onto Twitter to find out, you know, is it true? Is it true? And so then I told, you know, my my brother and the friends that were the, that were had come up, come up and everything like that. And I was like, oh, my God, like Kobe Bryant died. And everyone just stopped and was like, what? No, what? No. And. Like I feel like everyone, none of these people that I was with are sports fans. Certainly not to the d- degree I am. But they all grew up in Southern California. Uh, all have an affinity for or an understanding of Kobe as a, as an icon. And we were all stunned. And like that's these are non sports people. You know, I'm not a Laker fan. I'm I'm a Clipper fan. I I'm I'm not. I, I wouldn't have ever called myself a Kobe Bryant fan. But I appreciated his greatness at a certain point. As I got older, as he got older, as he retired and all that, so yeah, it 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 hits you hard, and it it does remind you about. I I know, like you said, like I know that it's uh what we discuss is is trivial to a point, but also it kind of highlights what sports mean to people, right? What sports figures mean to people, and that they do have this great impact that goes well beyond the the court or the field or or anything like that. So it is also good to reflect on on that and, and the preciousness of life essentially right like that's what this reminds us all it can be gone in a flash
0: yeah uh, everything can go in an instant and that's t- to me that's the horrifying thing of this It's just the finality of it knowing that you know we're, we're we're never going to see kobe on tv ever again we're never going to see his daughter grow up that's we're never going me. to to see the 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 other daughters that were on that, that helicopter grow up, right? Like the, the finality of it is so jarring to me. Um, and that's why you need to reach out and tell the people that that you love that you love them over and over again. Cause you never know when, when things can, um, take a turn for the worst, um, in the worst possible instance. So we're going to do that awkward thing of, um, transitioning to less serious things and talking about USC football. So uh, we're going to take a quick break um, and come back to do that, to try to make this transition as less cringy as possible. We'll be right back. Let's get into the news. USC officially announced Todd Orlando is the new defensive coordinator. This came out on Friday. Reports were all over the place all of last week. We had talked about it in our last episode um, from last Wednesday, um, but it wasn't official until Friday. Uh, It's interesting. You know, USC putting out the the media... um, that that they did a vi- they made a video of Todd Orlando talking about how you have to be physical in practice and that's what he believes in and you can't practice physicality without actually doing it and all this kind of stuff. In a lot of ways, it feels like SC was commenting on the situation um, that they know that they're in. Right, um, I I got a text message from a friend that said, "Did did USA subtweet themselves?" Uh, it it's interesting because in one sense, it shows that, that SC is hip to the game of where fans are in terms of their criticism. At the other point, I, I think it was a little interesting and almost too awkwardly on the nose uh, to kind of put out the, the Todd Orlando stuff at the same point.
2: It was incredibly on the nose, which is why it was so jarring. Like on the one hand, uh, I, I, on the one hand, I can't decide if it was okay, USC, you've told us for, for years that this doesn't matter. It's okay the way you practice. But now all of a sudden, like, you're swinging in this direction with your your DC coming out and, like, basically saying without saying, yeah, no, that was wrong. We're going to do it this way. We're going to do it different. And, like, yeah, that's it, it, it's good, right? It's self-awareness. We're always asking USC to be a little bit more self-aware. So I guess I'll take it in that sense, but it was just like I'm watching that video from Todd Orlando going like, I need to like quote everything that he's saying because this is exactly what people have been complaining about for years and years and years Uh, while also sitting back and saying like, well, yeah, but I've also heard this over and over and over. I don't think I've ever heard a defensive coordinator talk about football without using the words physical, aggressive, uh, right. A havoc, you know all of the the the, the sort of watchwords that he had in there. The proof will be in the pudding, as as it always is. But at the very least, USC people have a way of winning the press conference. So, you know that's ah uh, that's essentially what that was for Todd Orlando.
0: Yeah, a little bit. Um, but at the same point, you know, we we can sit here and say that SC needed to do those things. So it seems a little ridiculous to sit here and maybe criticize USC for finally addressing those things, uh, but but good on Tom Orlando for getting it out there. Uh, and now is going to be the thing where you just need to see them follow through on that. If if that's if that's where the the benchmark is, then make that the benchmark. And that's what we're going to be waiting to see in spring camp and in fall camp and during game week preparations. Right? If, if that's the standard. Let that be the standard uh, for this season. And then see what goes from there, right? Like that's what the, where fans have been wanting to see things. So give them what they want at that point, right?
2: Well, f- follow through is is the big thing that I'm looking for. Because right. we've talked about, you know, in spring camp, fall camp, there's always those moments where, wow, they're actually out there hitting. They're actually being out there physical. It feels right. And then they get to day one of, of, uh, of the first mock game week, and all of a sudden it's like, Nah, it's just all a glorified walkthrough. And, you know, that's, I was willing to sit back and say, well, maybe this is the new approach because a lot of other places were moving away from tackling and uh, all, all of that kind of stuff. I thought, you know, let's see. Obviously, it hasn't worked. Obviously, it hasn't been good enough. So if this is the change that USC needs to make going into 2020, I think it's a couple years too late. But at least it's there. And Todd Orlando is going to, have to put his stamp on things in much the same way that Graham Harrell had to come in and put his stamp on things. And if you know, if if you're looking at it from the perspective of wanting to see USC do the right things and succeed, uh, then maybe Clay Hilton has gotten the mix right, the chemistry right with an OC like Graham Harrell and a DC like Todd Orlando. But it's going to have to be a wait and see. And and Todd Orlando's track record at this point is not stellar enough to bank 1,000% on he's going to do a good job here. I think you look at his his record and you see, wow, that 2017 with Texas, if he can recreate that at USC, USC can win the Pac-12. Uh, but at the same time, 2018 with Texas, 2019 with Texas, wow, that sure looks a lot like what Clancy Pendergast was doing over at USC. So there are yeah. a lot of questions to answer here on on which direction this is going to go. But as far as like the first week on the job, I mean, can't complain, right? He's only he, he can only do so much at this point, right? There's there's not a lot uh, to work with at the moment.
0: Yeah, it's a roll of the dice, and SC's going to need to cash in on that roll of the dice if they want to have a successful season in 2019. Uh, one person Tyler Lando won't have at his disposal at USC is C.J. Pollard, the uh, senior defensive back tweeted out on uh, Monday, quote, I would like to, to say thank you to USC Athletics for giving me the opportunity to compete as a student athlete and earn a degree from prestigious private university. After considerable thought and prayer, I've decided to enter the transfer portal as a graduate transfer.
2: Yeah, um, that is he was one of the guys who I thought might be considering that as an option. Uh, he had two seasons where he'd been one of the most veteran players in USC secondary, and he hadn't been able to carve out any starting time. He'd gotten some minimal playing time, but it really didn't look like USC was interested in starting him, and certainly when you have Talano Hufanga, when you have Isaiah Pullemau, when you have a lot of the DBs that USC has brought in recently, he'd kind of just been leapfrogged over. Uh, So it it sort of made sense uh, him graduating, leave as a grad transfer, go find your playing time elsewhere, because it it obviously wasn't going to come at USC. It it does leave USC with a my little baby of a of a depth concern at safety going into to 2020 they have six scholarship safeties uh, but there is some flexibility with uh, with some of the corners some of the DBs have all been recruited and with with you know versatility in mind so that's something to at least keep an eye on where are guys landing up in spring camp who's a safety who's not a safety who's a nickel who's not a nickel you know who's a corner who's you know in which position group? But I can't say it's a huge surprise. I can't say it's a huge surprise to see C.J. Pollard move on. It's probably in his best interest to move on because, like I said, he just simply wasn't getting the starting reps.
0: Yeah, Hufanga and and IPM seem to have those two spots kind of locked down there at safety. Uh, And so Pollard was probably going to be the guy to add depth there, right? Or maybe potentially he could have been moved to like a nickelback position, but there's so much depth at USC right now uh, with Chase Williams and with Max Williams and all those guys uh, providing depth there as well that it makes sense. Go get your opportunity, and I think everyone's going to be pulling for CJ to see what he can do um, elsewhere. I'm going to be fascinated to see where he ends up landing in the transfer portal. Uh, Other guys in the 2016 class have had success at Illinois. Who knows? Maybe that's where CJ Pollard winds up. (laughs)
2: <laughs> well, Illinois is a uh, USC of the, of the East, right? But it's interesting you bring up that 2016 class. Uh, I, I've been very interested recently in looking back at, at USC's recruiting classes and sort of what became of them. And the 2016 class remains one to highlight as one of those ones where USC just really missed out for a bunch of different reasons, even though that was the 10th ranked class in the country. And, and you add C.J. Pollard to the list of players who have transferred from that class – Wola Batiku, Jack Jones, E.J. Price, Jamel Cook, Trayvon Sidney, Josh Matabebe, uh, Carrie Angeline, C- now C.J. Pollard, Nathan Smith took a medical retirement, uh, Pai Young uh, out, uh, Valus Jones transferred. So, you know, that's a that's a lot of guys who aren't sticking around for USC uh, in, the, in the sort of end of their careers, the guys, the veteran guys that you would expect to be populating USC's roster uh, or moving on to sort of NFL glory. And really, the only the, the, the two big ones that you point to that have been, you know, outstanding successes have been Michael Pittman and Tyler Vaughns, And those are the guys who have done are, are putting their names in USC's record books. So credit to them. But there's a lot of misses in that class. That's for sure.
0: hundred percent. And uh, speaking of misses, so we talk about recruiting.
2: Uh, <laughs> does anyone want us to talk about recruiting
0: <laughs> i i i don't know i mean where, where do we begin signing day is a week away uh and it looks like this is not going to be a signing day to remember not only because early signing day is a thing and so regular signing day is really lessened because of that but sc doesn't have that many scholarship spots available there's not many guys they're really going after um it's very quiet uh, on the uh on the USC front in terms of recruiting uh, the 2020 class, but the 2021 class had some big movers over the weekend, both in favor of Clemson, not USC. Corey Foreman, the number one recruit in the 24-7 sports composite in the nation for 2021 at Corona Centennial, picks Clemson, along with Bo Collins, a four-star wide receiver out of St. John Bosco, the number 34 recruit in the country. He also picks the Clemson Tigers, And now USC is in a situation where not only did the 2020 class go completely awry and they're back to dead last in the Pac-12 and everything is horrendous for USC, the worst class in, in history, and all those things, and you can't say anything to Rosie it up because it's just awful, right? Not only that, but seven of the top 10 recruits in the 2021 class have already committed, and of those seven... Five are headed out of state. Corey Foreman to Clemson. Uh, You got John Davis, uh, the outside linebacker from Notre Dame, going to LSU. Uh, Bo Collins from Bosco going to Clemson. Uh, Tyler Buckner, uh, quarterback going to Notre Dame. Uh, Seven McGee, uh, formerly from Narbonne, now over at uh, Corona Centennial, going to Oregon. This is not good. Not not a good situation for USC. The only Trojans... Uh, Trojan commits in the top 10 of the 2021 class right now uh, are former Narbonne quarterback Jake Garcia, the 14th national ranked recruit in the 21 class out of La Habra, and Pallier, now Toyota's little brother, Ma, the number eight recruit in the state and the 63rd nationally out of St. John Bosco. So not looking good for USC, missing out on Foreman and Bo Collins.
2: Well, and and I don't know if you can blame them so much, you know, Clemson, no. LSU, those are those are big time programs, and you know, you set set Tyler Buckner to the side. USC has the quarterback that they want in Jake Garcia, but even if you set Miller Moss to the side, who's a you know the four star Alamani, also a quarterback, um, you're still looking at a top fifteen where USC isn't even like the crystal ball favorite, you know, twenty four seven sports crystal balls. You got. Ethan Calvert is a crystal ball to Washington. Jalen Davies.
0: brother?
2: Yeah, Bo Calvert's little brother. Uh, Jay, who went to UCLA. Uh, Jalen Davies in the trade with Abdul-Malik McLean uh, from a couple of years ago, in case people forgot. Right. Uh, Jalen Davies from Modern Day going to uh, crystal ball to Alabama. Uh, Christian Dixon from Modern Day crystal ball to Notre Dame. Uh, and then Jonathan Flo from uh, Upland, the brother of Justin Flo crystal ball to Oregon so you're looking at at again USC is behind behind these are all guys that you would expect you at this stage in this recruiting class USC should at least have crystal ball advantages for a lot of these guys and they don't and that just is a reflection of the direction of USC's program and USC won't be able to walk into the homes of these top tier recruits in the state in the state that it's currently in and convince them to come USC is gonna have to put up or shut up At a certain point when it comes to recruiting Uh, on the plus side, if you want to look at this from an optimistic perspective, um, Corey Foreman, Rajon Davis, Bo Collins, they might be committed now, but we all know verbal commits mean nothing. So USC can get to work on those guys if USC wants to give themselves a chance. But that USC is behind at this point that USC is letting these guys commit to other places at this stage in this recruiting class says a lot about where USC is. And we all know where USC is at this point, so it's really not going to change until something changes from the USC side of things.
0: Yeah, it's it's difficult to decommit from Clemson, you know? Yeah. Like like I I understand that hey, SC does Has as the hometown chance, you know, 2,000 miles away, but still. It's the Clemson.
2: Patriots hire Davos Winnie, and then uh, you know, and then you
0: open the floodgates commit of to the Patriots.
2: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know, I'm just looking at it, you know, from from the perspective of no no commitment is safe, but it's on USC to to make that a, a truism, you know? It's on USC to flip the board here cuz USC is going to have right. to flip the board if they want some of these top-tier California uh, prospects.
0: Right. And it, it especially like you look at the the talent here. It's not like it's not like there's a bunch of recruits out of like podunk places. There's no one from like Bishop and Laverne and from you know Eureka like no this is Corona Centennial modern day St John Bosco
2: and they're not going to USC yeah
0: like that's unacceptable it's uh not, not 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 ideal not not ideal for USC but they do pick up somebody from Bosco uh a preferred walk on. Uh, linebacker Danny Lockhart commits as a preferred walk-on. It, it's interesting. He He's not rated in anything but the 24-7 sports ranking themselves, not the composite, but their own ranking. Uh, and he's the 2,552nd ranked player in that and has a three-star ranking, and he's a preferred walk-on for the Trojans.
2: Yeah, Um. certainly not a high-profile recruit, but when you're getting a preferred walk-on, He's taking a chance, and USC's not having to really. It's not costing USC anything. Is is really what it's looking at. And he was uh, did a good job at, at Bosco this year. He was second on the team in tackles. He was he had uh, eight tackles for loss. He, he moves around well. Maybe just not prototypical in a, in a college uh, you know recruiting kind of sense. But how many times have we seen other outstanding sort of walk ons at at other places or even at USC with Clay Matthews grow into something great? You know, you look at him and you see maybe there's a chance. Maybe something good happens. If it doesn't, no skin off your back because you didn't spend a scholarship on him. So uh, to me, this is a good recruiting move from USC.
0: Yeah, I I I give you that. But like that, that still the fact that we're
2: talking. Well, okay, (laughs) here's here's the problem for USC. In our rundown, we're mentioning a preferred walk on commit because there's no one else to talk about. That's the problem for USC.
0: Yes. Yeah, and, and like we've said before, it's not the three star signings that are a big deal. It's the fact that there aren't fours and fives.
2: It's not getting you know for twenty twenty one. It's it's losing out on Corey Foreman.
0: Yes. Yeah. A, he a teammate with Drake Jackson. So who knows? So maybe you can you can close that at some point. But we said that about Justin Flo, and that didn't 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 go Essie's way.
2: So. Yeah. Well, his little Anyways. brother is also on the board, so. <laughs> Yes, he can maybe write that wrong. I'm just going to go
0: on a hunch and say it doesn't go Essie's way either. I mean, Uh,
2: Oregon's just going to get stronger, you know?
0: (laughs) You you, you would think at this point. Uh, Take a quick break, though. We'll come right back and open up a mailbag. We got a big one. So start uh, lopping off those questions. We'll be right back. You've got mail. (laughs) All right, Alicia, let's start with a tweet we got from Brandon. What defense would you run at USC with our current personnel? 3-4, 4-3, 5-2, nickel, 3-3-5, three, three, straight cover six, or so my personal favorites, the 2-4-5 all stand-up defense?
2: Oh, 2-4-5 sounds super fun. If you're not going to be recruiting defensive linemen, just run with it.
0: Hey, see <laughs> won a Rose Bowl with a 2-4-5, yeah. albeit with a uh, with, with big guy... Uh with his hand in the dirt, Stevie Tua Yeah,
2: I don't know if uh, Stevie Tuekol S- 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 Stevie is running through that door. I'm so out of practice with that name. Uh but uh yeah, this one's this one's tough because, you know, I I think uh sort of on paper, I like the idea of a of a three four or like the the three three five would that Todd Orlando's bringing in. But at the same time, I don't know that USC has the nose tackle to eat up blocks the way that USC needs them to. Um, I, I don't know if they have that body necessarily. Maybe one of the guys they do have can become Brandon that, that body. I mean, that's my, that's my, been my thought, right? That Brandon Peely would be the guy who can put on those pounds and be that guy. But at the same time, like, I'm not sure I trust, like I trust to Apolotu to do that much more than I trust Brandon Peely uh, at, at this stage. So that's a... Uh, that's right. I mean, we we saw that the the sort of four two, what were they doing? It's like four two five, that Clancy Pendergast was doing.
0: Yeah,
2: didn't work. Um, yeah. And I don't know why it didn't work. Because
0: well, I can tell you why it didn't work. Why? Well, you you dropped. You didn't have a, the linebackers. All, no, you didn't have the linebackers. You couldn't get to the edge. Um, I think that was a main problem. Um, mind you, they couldn't stop the interior against Notre Dame either. So it's not like yeah. it was just just that. But I I understand why he went to the the four two five. I think you he, he wanted to establish the defensive line and he knew that there was a lot of talent there. But at the same point that I like a four man front just seems like such a defense of the past at this point in, in college football it's it's not where where the future is it's it's not how you defend a spread mm-hmm. uh, it's not how you defend these these offenses right now. i think you have to go to a three man front you have to be multiple in different ways um and so that's why i really like the the three three five in general um there's obviously different variants of the three three five a three three five and a and a three four nickel can kind of feel the same way depending on how you well, only you can't do a three four you know what i mean uh, a three-man yeah. front nickel, like it's <laughs> yeah. basically going to be end up being a three-three-five, anyways. But like, how you do these things, um, I, I I think that the 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 difficult part is Drake Jackson. If Drake exactly. Jackson can can play as the edge rusher, uh, if he can play as an edge rusher, a la Uchenna Nwosu, then he makes everything possible. If he is too stiff for that and he has to be a guy with his hand in the dirt, then it makes it very difficult. Because then, um, do you make him a defensive end a la Leonard Williams in the 3-4, where it's more of a run-stopping defensive end? I don't necessarily think that's Drake Jackson's game, and that also, I think, limits your your flexibility up front, too. Um, So I I think in a perfect world, I I like the the idea of a 3-3-5. You put Drake Jackson... Um, as your your edge guy, uh, and then you have your your three linemen up front. You have Pili, Tufele, and Tui Polotu. Pili is in the middle there, obviously. Um, See, and, and then that's, your, your, and two, your that's... two linebackers, so your two middle linebackers. Uh, you got uh, Palier and Aoteote, and um, your other dude, just pick randomly between Mauga or Iosefa. Tulia Pupu is healthy. Um There's Go a forth. bunch of different... Bunch of different options, and then you can fl- you can you can get creative on third down with Hunter Eccles and Abdul Malik McLean for different blitz packages. I I like the idea of of the three three five. To be honest, my
2: big thing is I like the question is about USC's personnel, right? So I want to figure out a way to get Peely to and Tufele on the field at the same time, and I think that's something where USC wasn't successful. In doing they haven't been successful in doing that over the last two years but I want to see that I want to see those three guys line up at the same time and I'm no tactical genius I'm not a scheme person necessarily certainly not with on the defensive side of the ball um, it, it is not my forte so I don't know if there are good reasons why you can't have those three on the field together but I would love to see that and and I'm with you then I would like to see Drake Jackson, be the 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 sort of rush end uh, outside linebacker in that in that 335 or or whatever you want to term it and then you know find your best linebacker pairing get the most out of out of those guys where you can get them i, I don't know how to get the most out of paley and Aoteote. maybe it's moving him to be the you know yin to drake jackson's yang as as a pass rusher i don't, I don't know if simplifying his role and just having him be an outside linebacker will get more out of him. Maybe that's the solution. I don't know one way or the other. You got to get more out of, out of him in particular. Uh, but the, as far as the front goes, I, I just, I want to see that alignment. I want to see those, all of those players be able to be on the field at the same time.
0: Yeah. Cause you can get, you can get the beef that way uh, by getting all those 300 pounders out there. Um, and But I think you you want to mix and match there, too. Like I think that the flexibility that those guys bring you, because even if you can't get all all three of them out there, uh, if you can go to a two-man front and, like, say, for instance, on third down you go to a two-man front and you you take off Brandon Peely and you bring on Abdul-Malik McLean or you bring on Elijah Winston or Hunter Eccles to, to blitz off the edge, I like that flexibility that, that the personnel gives you but it just to me all comes down to if Drake Jackson if he can pull it off as, as that edge guy
2: well i i totally agree with you about the flexibility of the personnel but that's one of the one of the struggles right is that you have flexible personnel but are you are you going to be able to get the most out of any of them if you're if right. you're like part of me thinks that USC was overly flexible in 2019 in terms of they were mixing and matching and they were taking you know, like Tufeli and Peely off the field on third downs. And I was like, I, I looked at that and go like, why would you do that? That That's not the way I would do it. Like, I know that you're trying to be flexible and keep guys fresh, but at the same time, you need to be able to get the best out of your best players. So there's a, there's a balance in there and it's tough. Uh, I'm not going to say it's easy, but that's one of the things that I'm going to be looking for.
0: But I think for me, a balance there would be you don't have to take both of those guys off. You can take off one of them and bring in uh, a speedy guy off the edge to, to be on the outside and either set the edge or, or you know, provide contain or, or get after the quarterback, right? Like a Hunter Eccles and an Abdul-Malik Like, I don't think you need to go small on third down. I think there's enough personnel to mix and match to where you don't always have to go big and you don't always have to go small, you can intermingle those guys.
2: Yeah, yeah, I hear you.
0: Which is the, the benefit of USC's talent on defense. Yeah, and, well, Todd Orlando you know,
2: has so much to work with there. Whatever he wants yeah. to do, he can do it just personnel-wise. like, yep. They, they may not be all the greatest players, but he's got a ton of different styles and types of players to, to fit into, into what he wants to
0: do. Yeah, and I think the interesting thing is what he's going to do with the nickel spot. Um, because how is how is that going to be effective? And you know, I know he's had like a, a roving linebacker, I think, um, or was it a roving? I can't remember off the top of my head. there was it, a roving position, a rover, right? Yeah. And, and so, like, how is that going to be used? I'm going to be fascinated to see how how that goes. I know, you know, when Clancy gashed, uh his defense in 2016, which we all really liked, that two four five, and one of the things we talked about there was how it pivoted in terms of who the nickelback was. Against teams that would be more pass focused, they'd go in one direction and then uh, if it was a run team, they'd go a different direction. and you know the safety the the nickelback would either be more of a safety type nickel or a cornerback nickel depending on what it was, right? And so now you get in that situation where I think you can do that again because you've got so many different guys on this on this team, like a Max Williams, Chase Williams, who can play both nickel safety and and corner. Uh, all those positions, but Max Williams can can be that that nickel corner, right? But then you have someone like a maybe like a Raymond Scott who can be like a like a safety uh, a safety nickel, right? Like there's a lot of different things you can do around here, and I think that that makes it interesting. I don't know. If there's one right answer, but to your point, there might be so many answers that it makes it difficult to find the right one.
2: Yeah. To, to find the one that works to not overthink right. yourself
0: so many different combinations yeah yeah Um, to find the answer Uh, let's go to a tweet from Daniel which players do you think will benefit the most from Todd Orlando becoming the DC I would have to say it would have to be Paulino Toyota right just because he cannot get worse and, oh. and I don't mean to sound like I'm knocking the kid because <laughs> the kid. I, I think that we just thought he would just take a huge step forward last year and nothing happened
2: okay Fla- well Let's let's jump in a time machine, travel back exactly one year ago, and play that clip to our one-year-ago selves, and what are we sitting there thinking? Like,
0: what? Like, yeah. and just the turn of events. Like, I don't mean that he was bad. I think it was the way he fit into the defense just wasn't there. It wasn't a good fit no, for not that at defense all. That, that Clancy Pendergast was running. So I think it has to be him. Just, and maybe that's wishful thinking, but... I don't know that there's anyone else that could could definitely be that guy. Maybe it's Drake Jackson's the biggest benefit if he can play outside. Yeah, but well, but I I don't know that I'd put all my eggs in that basket either.
2: I mean, yeah, you look at uh, someone like Hunter Eccles, maybe is able to to find a, a an actual true role, and get more out of him uh, in this in this defense. Um, you you gotta feel like it's someone in the front seven because I'm not sure. I guess maybe that the, the DBs might have some pressure taken off of them at times. Maybe you find a better balance uh, between the aggression and, and sort of putting those guys on an island. So name any one of those, I suppose. But uh, it feels like the front but I seven... But think the
0: secondary played well enough last year Yeah, that's, I don't uh, know uh, if it... Like, the secondary was the best part of USC's defense last and
2: year. And I don't think they need to—I mean, it would obviously be nice if they could benefit from Orlando being the D.C., but, like, I don't think they need it as much as EA or as, as like, lost guys in there, like, like Hunter Eccles right. or, or Connor Murphy or, you know, any one of those guys.
0: Yep. Uh, let's go to a tweet we got from Kevin in Philly. What do you think our ceiling is for next season?
2: Uh, f- people don't want to hear this, but I think the ceiling is— Jesus Christ. I'm actually going to say this. The ceiling is the playoff. Playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. You kidding me? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to talk about playoffs. Here's, uh, you know, the, the, the scenario. If Todd Orlando produces a defense on par with the defense he produced in 2017 at Texas and Graham Harrell produces an offense that takes a step forward from the offense that he produced in 2019 with Keaton Slovis at the helm. Then, yes, the the playoff is possible for USC. Um, I I say possible. I do not say probable. I would not bet on it because I don't think things will go that smoothly. But I do think there like there's a universe where that all comes together. So the ceiling is the playoff. I mean ceiling a ceiling is the the upper edge right of what is what is what the team could be right. capable of i'm i'm going high there but that's the truth of of where it actually probably is
0: that's the ceiling i don't think that's where the the uh the penthouse is does that make sense
2: yeah 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 that's not the sweet <laughs> spot yeah
0: no, no i, I but yeah I, I mean i agree with what you're saying in the, so we we saw like you look at the sp plus numbers SC's defense went all the way up to number nine I think number nine right uh nationally in, in offense um and, and in 2017
2: in 2017 Texas allowed 21.2 points per game defensively if USc's averaging 35 points a game and averaging 21 points a game defensively they're going to win 10 games
0: right yeah well my point is that so we we saw them go on offense to number nine in SP Plus, if they can go to top five, the, the top five, and make another jump to the top five in Keaton year stay two healthy. under Graham Harrell. Yes, Keaton Slovis staying healthy, uh, the receivers replacing Michael Pittman with their depth, the running backs all staying healthy, the offensive line finding a way to make up for the loss of Austin Jackson and, and coming together and doing their job and all that stuff. If they can be a top five offense, the defense does not have to be elite. But if they're a top good. 25 defense. The, yeah, the defense can be a top 25 defense. Um, and then if you get a top 15 defense like Texas a couple years they ago. They
2: were 14 in S&P+. Plus.
0: Yeah, well, then you can feel really, really good about that. But that's there's a lot of ifs That's there. The, I, ceiling. I feel, it's the ceiling. That's the ceiling. It's the absolute ceiling. I think the, the more realistic situation is SC takes another step forward on offense they get a little bit better on defense, and just that little betterness makes them a nine-win team. Um, okay, and I know that that's not that's not answering the question from Kevin. That's I'm just talking about. I think that's the most realistic thing is that they end up as a nine-win team because they get just a little bit better everywhere. Um, but I know that that's going to be probably the frustrating answer for people because people are going to want them to crash and burn or put it all together.
2: Yeah. And that's probably not going to happen. It's always going to be somewhere in between. But we did this exercise last year at times too. So in in 2019, USC averaged 32.5 points per game, and they av- they gave up 29.4 points per game. If if do we want to talk like what's the margin uh, in those numbers that USC needs to move in order to be because uh, for reference. In 2016, USC averaged 34.4 points per game, and they gave up 24.2 points per game. If I remember correctly, that was the best defensive season statistically, for, like, from that. So it was the best since 2013. 21.2 points per game was in, in 2013. So, like, I don't know that you can expect USC to, to, you know, drop that scoring average to by 9 points. But if you get down to 24 points and your offense is up to 35 points... Right. You're, go- you're going to be very, very competitive throughout the year. You're still going to lose to Bama. Yeah. And-, and for my but- brother, Joaquin, he-, he listened to us talking about how USC is definitely going to lose to Bama. And he was he told me, like, I listened to you guys and you guys are talking about Bama and why not Notre Dame? Why isn't Notre Dame one of those automatic losses? Well, I mean, it's not as automatic a loss as, as Alabama, but. You're still probably going to lose one of those big games along with the Alabama game, but you're still going to be in at least as good a position as 2016 USC was.
0: Which is another reason why I don't think the playoff is realistic anywhere realistic because of the Alabama game. So,
2: except that USC was talking, people were talking about USC and the playoff in 2016, and there were discussions about if Sam Darnold had started the season and USC had still lost to Bama, but they hadn't lost to. Uh, Stanford and to Utah, then that team would be on the, would be in the playoffs. So, you know, weird stuff happens. I not that no, I ever I, bought into that.
0: I, I get it, and I know that Oregon lost to Auburn last year in Week One, and they still came close to getting into the playoff. But this margin for error is so small that I don't think it's possible, given what we know about USC and how even even when they are good. A Clay Elton team will let you down at some point.
2: Oh, well, that, that, that's the Just, realism. So, like, when we're talking about it's, it's, ceilings, I don't think we're talking about realism. Uh, and, I'm not.
0: I know. <laughs> uh, and, and anyways, Kevin's other question How long do we have to correct our current trajectory? We've lost a decade. How long into Michigan or Nebraska?
2: Um, I uh, here's my problem with trajectories Michigan is Michigan because. Michigan made a bunch of bad hires like in a row and Nebraska is Nebraska because they have sort of fallen in this pit. I, I don't know that like you become Michigan or you become Nebraska any more than you become Clemson or you become LSU. Like it's all about getting your stuff right. So make the right head coaching hire, invest in your program, get serious. The thing about USC that Michigan and Nebraska don't have, the moment USC gets serious, the recruiting goes off the charts because of Southern California. So I, I, I don't know that it's... I, I, I am less worried about USC's trajectory from the sense of what's happening this year will mean that USC cannot succeed in two years. My worry about USC's trajectory is does USC make the right hire the next time? Do they put themselves in position... To compete for the big boys when it comes to hiring a head coach, hiring assistant co- coaches, and all of the other peripheral things that go into a, a football program. USC can turn this thing around instantly if they get a hire or two right. The, the, the yeah, trajectory I, stuff I, is the continuation of bad decisions.
0: Right. And and I agree with that. I, I think the other thing that – I this is the thing that I think is, is so fascinating to me is the perspective of things. We, we talk about, you know, USC and, and you know, having a terrible decade. Um, did they have a better decade than Michigan? I would argue yes. Did they have a better decade than Florida? Yes. Did they have a better decade than Nebraska? Yes. Texas? Yes. All these, these brands that, that we, we think of as being down... SC outperformed almost all of them. Virginia Tech, SC had a better better uh decade than them. All these decades all these teams that had a bad decade, USC's bad decade was still better than them. Still better than them. And that's not to say that, oh well, you should be happy for what USC had. Like that's not the the argument I'm making. That's more so that that, you know, we, we can say that SC is in this, you know, this Bad place, but the but the floor the basement has not been is the the the, it's not the basement that other schools have, and so I think it makes it a lot easier to flip that switch with the right hires, right? and how long
2: if how long did it take Pete Carroll to get an eleven and two Orange Bowl winning season? One year,
0: year two, year two. It
2: took him one year, and that was after. A decade of mediocrity. Yep. USC hadn't won a, a bowl. When when Pete Carroll took over, USC hadn't won a bowl game since 1995.
0: Yep. Now, mind you, USC's um, recruiting class, like, like if you have this recruiting class that's ranked 60th in the country right now and you put a couple of those on top of each other, then it starts to make it a little bit more difficult.
2: But we didn't have a sense but of the, what that was in 1999. Like, Sure, right.
0: But it's still the recruiting classes an hour. I mean, right now are still worse than they were back then, even without the rankings. I think we can definitively say that. So uh, uh, it is it, it, a different era, sure. But yeah, it's, still it's, I think it's the, hard the, to
2: say. I, I, I have no, I have no idea. I, I, couldn't say.
0: But, but the point is, yeah, you, you get the, you get the right moves in here. You, you make the right personnel decisions, um, in terms of the athletic department, in terms of. Coaching in terms of the support staff and all that stuff, you can flip this thing around really damn quick. Like I I don't think that there's this, you know, we can look at the 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 looming doom, and I think the looming doom is there, but it can go away so fast that I don't know that there is a timeline on having to fix everything so quickly because blank's gonna happen. Um, that doesn't mean that SC has they can take their sweet ass time to fix everything. That, that's not what I'm arguing either. No, J- just that it. it there isn't. A, this isn't Indiana Jones with the. And I've never watched any of the movies. I don't know the ride. So don't, don't don't make fun of me. Oh my god! <laughs> this is the Indiana Jones with the big, uh, the the big ball rock ball like coming at you. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like the rock ball's not coming at you. You just are where you are. It's about getting up out of that uh, out of that pit. Yes, absolutely. So that, that that's that's the way I see it. Uh, let's get a tweet from Patrick. Uh, Do you think SC could have four one thousand yard receivers uh, in twenty twenty? No.
2: Okay. Here's <laughs> here's the fun part. Uh, the The short answer is no. The long answer is the fact that we're even that the question can even be asked is stunning because last year. USC had a 1,200-yard receiver, a uh, ten 1,000-yard receiver, a 900-yard receiver, and a 500-yard receiver. Now, I don't think they're going to have four 1,000-yard receivers, but is it possible that USC could uh, once more be in the running for three 1,000-yard receivers? Losing Michael Pittman, but replacing him with one of Drake London, Kyle Ford, Brew McCoy? I think it's entirely possible to be looking at that again. Certainly, looking at the prospect of another two one thousand yard receiver season, but four—I mean, USC's never done three, so you know, right. maybe don't get in ahead of ourselves with four. But <laughs> air raid's gonna air raid, boy. So
0: yeah, I I just I can't see it. I think that the, what's gonna happen is the distribution is too gonna many go guys. One, the, yeah, the, the, it's gonna go one of two ways. So I'm looking it up. Um, First of all, it is it is insane looking at the passing offense in terms of yards. So in 2018, Ohio State had the most passing yards of any team. Ohio State more than Washington State, fifty one hundred. In 2019, LSU had six (laughs) thousand. So if Keaton Slovis has a nine hundred more yards. Just insane. One more game. One one more. I know, but one more game. But still, uh, the just insane. Hey, if USC
2: goes to the playoff, then uh, <laughs> maybe they do it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, sure. Could happen.
0: But, but I'm looking at Ohio State's 2018 receiving core. I think that I I think this would be more likely. So Paris Campbell had 1063. KJ Hill 865. Terry McLaurin, 701, Johnny Dixon, 669, and then you go to Benjamin Victor at 354. So you had a bunch of guys that had a lot of yards, but it was distributed pretty evenly and to where it was nowhere close where four guys could get 1,000. Or it's a situation like Oklahoma in 2018 or LSU in 2019 where you have two guys who go well over 1,000 and everyone else is way behind that kind of like what SC did with Marquis Lee and Robert Woods. Because uh, in 2018, Hollywood Brown, 1,318 yards, and CeeDee Lamb, 1,158. And the next guy for OU had less than 500. So there was a huge gap there. Uh, and you look at LSU this year, <laughs> this one is insane because Jamar Chase, 1,780 yards, Justin Jefferson, 1,540 yards, But then the difference between Justin Jefferson at number two and Terrace Marshall at number three is 900 yards. Terrace Marshall had 671 in third place. So even LSU wasn't going to have four 1,000-yard guys, and that's because the number one and number two rose to the top that much. But Okay, number one,
2: hold on, hold on. Just a fun fact right now. USC's single season pass catching leaders. Uh oh,
0: you wanna you wanna quiz me?
2: All time. <laughs> let's save let's save the quiz for another time. But I will say, uh Jamar Chase had uh more than any USC receiver has ever had. Uh yep. Marquise Lee had 1721. So just marginally yep. ahead. That's
0: the record. Yeah.
2: Justin Jefferson, who played second fiddle in terms of yards to to Jamar Chase in 2019 he would be like for LSU, third, right? 1500 yards. Uh, the only other receiver at USC who has had 1500 yards in their car- in in a single season in their career Juju. was Johnny Morton.
0: Juju got close. Right?
2: Juju had 1454. Okay, and they had two dudes. Those two seasons for LSU would be number one and number uh f- yeah number one and number three. All-time at USC. (laughs) USC.
0: Well, here's the crazy part. SC was fifth nationally in passing yards. Fifth. (laughs) And LSU had 1,700 (laughs) more yards. Uh, Almost 2,000. Yeah. Yeah. Also, what would you have done if you would have been... Like, if, if someone would have told you five years ago, in 2019, the top five passing teams in the country are going to include LSU, Alabama, and USC. Like, you would have <laughs> laughed so hard.
2: Even if last year you had told me LSU is going to be the number one passing team in the country, I'd have said, uh, yeah, no, that's not LSU.
0: No, no. not in a million years. Uh, anyway, if you got so many more questions, we'll take a quick break. Come right back and uh, wrap this thing up with the man Got mail. <laughs> Alright, Alicia, let's go to Scourge. With players potentially leaving for the next year's draft and some transferring out, what positions should the coaches recruit next season? I know running back is one, but what else is a need or potential need? I think this is very easy. The offensive line.
2: Yeah, well they got the numbers, but they really need to go and get some I guess like big bigger time stars. Uh, to work out there, uh, and and continue bolstering that offensive line. Uh, we have a nifty little scholarship chart on the website now, where we're keeping track of all the numbers uh, that USC has. So, um, running back is definitely one that's going to have to be focused heavily on. We're already seeing that for this year, but next year they're gonna they're also going to need to to reload there. Uh, they're going to continue to need to bring in wide receivers. Um, they're going to need to make a decision about tight ends. They are going to need to continue to go after defensive linemen, particularly some defensive ends, because Connor Murphy, Caleb Tremblay, Nick Figueroa are all graduating. So that's something to to consider. Although, again, the personnel groupings and the scheme and all that kind of stuff are going to play a role in that. So... I think those are the big ones that, that stand out. Um, safety, I guess. Because eventually Isaiah Pullmao and Talano Hufanga are going to leave. I mean, Hufanga could leave after this year. So, that's one.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's right. Um, safety moving forward. Offensive line, I think, is still is still the one, If especially immediately. Like, that's the one where you, I think if you're going to get someone from the transfer portal, you're getting a... An offensive lineman. I don't think you need a running back this year. You might need a running back going forward when uh, Malapai, who knows? Malapai, Carr, Step, they could more than likely all potentially leave yeah, after the season. Yeah, y- that's why you got to start looking. You need running backs yet going forward. But in terms of like what you would need for 2020, you need an offensive lineman in the transfer portal. You need to recruit running backs and safeties. Yeah. All right. Uh, moving on, text message from Josh in Buckeye Country. Hey, folks, Joss Buckeye Country here. Do you think Todd Orlando will be able to pull in some caliber players or will he go after coachable diamonds in the proverbial rough? Could he land a three-star like Keaton Slovis on defense that turns out to be a stud? With him coming from Texas, do you think he'll be able to recruit in Texas?
2: Um, I, I think it's a, a possibility that he'll have relationships in the texas sort of areas one thing we we did hear about him from like anwar richardson and stuff is that he wasn't he's not a stellar recruiter so i don't think he's the kind of guy that like has relationships with all the high school coaches and is going to be able to get in the door immediately but he does know that area at the very least he has a familiar face at the very least so having him and uh, mike Jenks, who is also a, a texas guy could could help usc Work in Texas a little bit. I, I don't think it hurts. Certainly nope. with Graham Harrell and 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 uh, um, now with um uh, the the rest of the sort of staff that USC brought in along with Harrell uh, to to keep an eye at least on Texas to be able to talk in Texas. um But I, if I'm if I'm toward Orlando, I am going out there and trying to swing for the fences on some five star guys on some four star guys. Uh, you're always gonna have the chance to land some three star studs. Every class is gonna have three stars. You need to pick your battles there. But you gotta go out and swing for the fences. You're at USC. You're at USC. Throw your this is the thing I yell at USC all the time to do. Throw your weight around like you are USC. So if Todd Orlando has a successful season, USC's defensive coaches, USC should be throwing that around as a look at what we can become.
0: Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, in terms of Texas specifically, I don't know that he's going to have the connections Mike Jinks does. Mike Jinks was like a elite head coach at the the high school level in Texas. I think those are connections to the Texas high schools that I don't know that you can replicate by just coaching your last five years at Texas like Tyler Lando did. But maybe I, I I think it'll be interesting. Um, but more than anything, I see it just recruit better by just playing better. So, I, I I think that's more important than specific ties. More than anything, I know that's simplistic, but it's it's like it's not a satisfactory answer or satisfying answer. I mean, but I I think that's just the reality of the situation. Uh, let's go to a tweet from uh, Diego. Could Jonathan Vaughn's potentially flip to USC with his brother Tyler now staying for another season? sports shows him as a hard commit and not signed to UCLA.
2: I mean, I don't think we've heard anything relating to Jonathan Vaughn's wavering on his UCLA commitment. It's certainly not something that I've seen uh, hints of or anything like that. Um, uh, Maybe USC, knowing they have an extra scholarship to, to use once they get towards the end, could try to make that flip. But at the same time, I don't know that. I don't know that if USC with limited scholarships is going to spend a scholarship, I don't know that Jonathan Bonds is the guy they use it on. I don't think they need linebackers at this stage. I think right. they uh, you, uh, to me, I, I save that even, even with the family tie. I save it and go out and get an offensive lineman in the transfer portal or, you know, a safety in the transfer portal or, or something of, of that variety. It just doesn't feel like the kind of thing that is of extreme need for USC so yeah i mean who knows it could stranger things have happened but that just doesn't seem like that would come out of completely left field
0: yeah i'm with you uh joe says if we beat bama long shot but it's there's still a chance uh, and every time I, I think of that i think of uh um dumb and dumber um a- angels in the outfield oh. it
2: could happen it could happen <laughs> it could happen
0: yeah uh, anyways, Joe says, if we beat Bama, long shot, but there's a chance. So you think people will stick to the decision and not go to games and not support the program? Personally, I don't see how the Coliseum isn't full if we go into week two, one and no. Just one game has the potential to create so much hype again. This is interesting because first things first, um, people are fickle. I, I think, you know, I agree with the sentiment that Joe says here that, if sc beats bama everyone that all the, the 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 naysaying can quickly turn if sc beats bama impressively wins will rile people up and win people back over quickly the other thing i would say is the other reason for that i would say this is you notice you know as as angry as USC fans are, they're still angry, which means they still give a crap, right? So, like, I, you know, the Holiday Bowl, I think, is a prime example. People were so mad about the season, so mad about Clay Helton, and yet they got so mad again about losing the Holiday Bowl. If everyone was really mad about losing Clay Helton and walking away, then nobody would have given a crap about the Holiday Bowl. But people still care. People can't give this team up that quickly. They can't. They're addicted. That's what fandom is. That's what fans are. They're 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 addicted so much uh, that even you know even if people are unhappy, they're gonna still gonna be on message boards and on Twitter complaining, right? So I I think that yeah, I think that a win over Alabama would would turn people right away. Would it mean that the Coliseum would be full in week two? I don't necessarily think that it would happen that quickly in terms of, like, the Coliseum selling out. But I think there absolutely would be way more interest in the team immediately because, first of all, SC would shoot up the rankings and be a top 10 team, potentially top 5 immediately at that point.
2: Well, I don't know about that.
0: Uh, You know how the rankings are. No, but the rankings
2: aren't that fake. Like, USC would be top 15 for sure.
0: They wouldn't you're be gonna, top five. You're going to tell me that if SC beats Alabama, yes, that they're there, they're maybe be top fifteen. Are you? Are you crazy? No, they would.
2: No, I'm saying they definitely would not be top five. I think top ten would be quite a reach too.
0: You're out of your mind.
2: This is this is an Alabama team that just lost to a that just lost. Uh, like that, people Those are already writing Nick, Nick Saban. Nick lost season- it again?
0: Do you not remember when when Texas beat Notre Dame and then they jumped all the way to the top 10? And that was Notre Dame.
2: Yeah, but that was a stupid game that people were way overreacting to. So, like, I don't know. But Maybe it, people could be stupid, that, but they would be stupid. We could all agree exactly right now here and now that they would be very stupid to do so.
0: If USC beat Alabama, the, the only team to ever beat Alabama in one of those neutral site games, the overreaction is, would be insane. No, the
2: overreaction would be insane. Looking at Alabama, not at USC. The overreaction y- y- would be applied okay. to Alabama. Uh,
1: either, either way,
2: either way, yes, please. the Coliseum wouldn't if, be full the next time, but hold, hold on. Hold this on. is hold not on. something we can prove one way or the other. I just think it's insane no, hold, hold, to say that USC would be top five. They're not going to be ranked going into the season. If, if, you think USC is going to jump please, 15 spots if they beat yes. Alabama when yes. Alabama has yes. a new quarterback and people yes. are w- just waiting to bury Nick Saban?
0: One hundred percent. They just
2: lost a bunch of guys to the NFL. Yes, I think the narrative will focus completely on Alabama. I think USC will rise by ten points by by ten by ten places. Yes, I think USC will rise by ten. But I think USC is going to start the season ranked number twenty four and they'll rise to (laughs) fourteen.
0: Rise to fourteen? No. Yeah. No, they'll start twenty four and they will rise to like seven. No. Six. No. Yes, they would.
2: No, not enough teams are going to lose in that opening weekend for that to happen.
0: Obviously, but but no, no it's going to be a complete overreaction of the situation. It'll
2: be an overreaction That's on Alabama's part. In,
0: have you ever seen the like it, Okay, if you're listening at home, please tweet us right now. Tweet us your thoughts. Uh, like, let's let's take Joe's hypothetical, which we all know is like a one in a million chance that SC beats Alabama. No one's predicting this. But if it happened, tweet us. If USC started 24, let's just say, hypothetically, USC starts number 24, where would USC be ranked after beating Alabama? Tweet us, let us know, and we'll see where the people reside. Because I'm telling you, they're top 10 for sure. They're like number six, number seven. That's that, That's my little prediction.
2: I don't think there's any chance they're top
0: 10. You're out of your mind. But okay. And if I'm crazy, tweet me and tell me I'm nuts. That's fine. You, you are nuts. <laughs> All right. I'm just saying.
2: I mean, to, to answer the question, the Coliseum won't be full, but people will be much more on board cautiously so though.
0: So I just looked it up, by the way. Yeah. Texas uh, jumped up
2: to number 11.
0: <laughs> Texas was unranked and jumped up to number 11 by beating number 10 Notre Dame. Yeah, hell yeah! SC's way in the top in
2: seven. a fifty to forty-seven double overtime,
0: double, over t- double yeah. overtime win. Yeah. Like that wasn't even that impressive. Trust they didn't me. get in
2: the top ten. They were unranked. They didn't get into and the top ten. Notre Dame is in Alabama. Wisconsin like, was also unranked that year. They beat
0: number five
2: LSU and jumped up to number ten.
0: Ten is in the top ten. I think I rest my case here. Like, uh,
2: no, I I don't think USC's. I don't think USC's the number seven team in the country. If they beat Alabama,
0: Alabama would be a bigger tree to fall than number ten Notre Dame. Just saying.
2: That's not saying. the question. The question is, would USC rise to number seven or
0: six? No, they wouldn't. Yes, because it because Alabama, like people would revere Alabama more, and so then the the they must be that good if they beat no, Alabama. No, I think like,
2: again you are underestimating the desire for people to bury Alabama. The, these things can move in both directions. It's a three dimensional pole. Yeah. And I'm saying USC wouldn't rise to number six or number seven. There would be too many teams ranked ahead of them who aren't going to lose that weekend. And also, That's people gonna are going to be ready to bury Alabama. Uh,
0: okay. All right. Moving on. Uh, <laughs> we tweet just
2: spent us. like 20 minutes Please arguing the stupid. Like, no one thing. No, USC is not going to beat Alabama. So we're never going to have proof for no, what th- how this not. goes. So, like, we just wasted everybody's time arguing a hypothetical.
0: I know. Uh, but please tweet us and side with me because I know I'm right in this one. Uh, Slack message from David Orange County. Do you see SC being slow to make announcements like hirings and firings, etc., as a positive sign? There seems to be very little leakage coming out of AD Mike Bone's office, and it makes it feel like they're being very deliberate and methodical with their decisions and it's driving the Twitterverse crazy. Come on, just tell me they're hiring Chris Claiborne, though. Hashtag Team 55. Dave, I would, I respect the effort to, to give Mike Bone the benefit of the doubt and say that this stuff is deliberate and methodical. But I don't think that the the slow announcements has anything to do with a Mike Bone or b um, this administration. Like I, I think these things have predated him. I think it's been a, like Cliff Kingsbury took like a week to get officially announced last year. Uh, years before that, I remember Clancy Pendergast. The official announcement took days afterwards. Like, these things always take forever to be formally announced. Our friends over at USCFootball.com have talked about that. Like, a lot of it has to do with things like, you know, uh, contractual and, uh, agreements and like vetting and background checks and all this stuff. That Those are probably good reasons, but I don't know that it means anything in terms of there being. Um, deliberate, methodical decisions being made and whatnot. The other thing is, I don't know that we can say there's very little leakage coming out of the office when we all knew about the the Todd Orlando thing and we're just sitting there waiting for it to be official. If there were no leaks, then we wouldn't know about the Todd Orlando thing. So, I guess
2: you could say but we're not hearing leaks until it is. We're, we're
0: not. We're not well, hearing leaks about the the search in general. Yeah, we're hearing uh, we the hearing Todd went, Orlando thing. When USC sure. has
2: decided something, that's when we're hearing the the, the news.
0: That, that's that's a good point.
2: But I also think like the timing on these things is so dependent on so many other factors that I, I don't know that it's like a reflection of one thing. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know how to read anything into any of these kinds of things because they're so complex. But one thing I will say is I don't think USC is going to be hiring Chris, Chris Claiborne. and that's just because Todd Orlando is a linebackers coach. So maybe he brings in somebody and does the the sort of CEO DC thing where he's not also handling a position. But I I just I've got a gut feeling that that's not happening. As much as we would all enjoy that.
0: So you you mentioned that, and um, yeah, he's never had a linebackers coach. Uh, he never had one at Texas. Uh, which is interesting because I was. Looking through it and thinking, well, maybe that would have changed when they had an extra coach, uh, when the 10th uh, assistant got added. But no, that didn't change either. So, I don't know. Hmm. Huh, it's indeed. An, an interesting thought about, about Chris Claiborne there. Uh, Dave's next question. Is it scheme, personnel, or development that we need to unlock our linebackers? Twenty nineteen team is an all-time low in production from that group. Yes. Uh,
2: yes, <laughs> the answer, right? Yes, I I think that um, it starts I think it was with
0: scheme more than anything.
2: Uh, yeah. If we take those three things and we say what order of importance are they and why USC has gone wrong, I think scheme. Um. Oh, now I'm second guessing myself well, because really, part of the the marriage was that, like, the of, it's personal, the marriage of
0: two of them, right? Yeah. It, it was marrying the personnel with the scheme. Yes. It was developing the players for the scheme. Yeah. Like I, I don't think that it was just one. Like I don't necessarily know that the scheme was bad. They could have just implemented the scheme poorly. And I don't know that the, the players weren't getting developed. They just might not have been developed for this scheme correctly. You know what I mean? Like I, I think it's I think it's like two of those things at a time.
2: Well, like you could have developed John Houston to the completeness of his development and you still maybe wouldn't have elevated the scheme in the way that you needed your you know primary linebacker to do so right like you certainly haven't right. developed Palaiena Aoteote to the degree that you need to but we saw he did much better last year than this year so that's a reflection of where you were putting him what you were asking him to do
0: yep yeah, um, yeah, a lot of moving parts, uh, for sure. Uh, let let's wrap this up with talking about what we said we'd talk about in the open. Uh, Kobe, a little bit more. Uh, we got a, a Slack message. Uh, sorry, we we got a text message from the three two three that says, uh, "Born and raised in L.A., living in Honolulu. Fight on, forever. R.I.P. Rest in peace, Kobe." Uh, and David Orange County asked us, "What is our favorite Kobe memory?" What do you got, Lacey? what's your What's your favorite Kobe memory?
2: Um, hmm. Well, not being a Kobe fan, like you know that commercial where Kobe, when he was retiring, where he's like directing the orchestra, but it's a crowd of fans singing about how they hate him, like. Mm-hmm. I think that was one of the moments where I was like, I know it's not an on-the-court on the thing, but that was one of the moments where, like, I get it. I get it. He he fed off of the hate, and the hate was more about not being able to touch his greatness as a fan of an opposing team than than anything about than what he was doing on the court. So, like, I just remember that commercial kind of, like, made me open my eyes to, like, maybe I don't, like, hate-hate Kobe. Maybe I just, like, I, it's just hard to process as a as a Clippers fan. Um, his uh, his um, final game was just incredible. Like as a spectacle, that was as a spectacle for an opposing fan. Where it didn't matter to me if the Lakers won. I was just there for the spectacle, of the moment. That was pretty damn awesome.
0: Yeah, I've been trying to come up with one memory, and I just I can't come up with one thing. Um, you know, I, I didn't go to a lot of Laker games um, as a kid. I've never been to a Laker game at the at Staples Center. Is that weird? That is weird. <laughs> That's it's been there a long it, time. Now, it's Michael. been twenty years. I've never been. No, um, I, I've my last uh, Laker game was at the Forum, um, and I feel like I was always a, a Shaq guy. I, I always liked Kobe a lot. I always so like I didn't like Kobe. Um, but I was more of a Kobe wearing number eight fan more than anything. And, and I just, I don't know that there wasn't one memory. I think, I think for me with, with, with Kobe, it was what he meant to everybody, that he was the center of attention. And I, I think that my, my memory is just him. My, my lasting memory of Kobe Bryant is just him being the face I don't know that we've seen in L.A. a person be the face of a franchise more than Kobe. And sure, sometimes it was maybe to the detriment of the franchise, right? Like the years in which they were they they were they were bad and whatnot. But like he, he we saw him evolve. We 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 saw him go from being this this young kid who was so good and so talented and paired with with one of the greatest big men in, in the game and Shaq and they have that, that three-peat and, and what it meant for him being the young guy on, on that veteran-laden team. Um, and then we saw him transition to the, the, the rough years in the middle of the aughts, right? Where he's dealing with controversies and he's dealing with, you know, the, the label of being a ball hog and the Smush Parker years and the Raja Bell elbow and all that stuff and to see him change and evolve and overcome that and over overcome that as, as a person um you know him overcoming you know his his faults as as a human being to end up being a, a by all accounts you know tremendous father right um overcome as as a player um the 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 you know, the, all, all the knocks on him for being a, a selfish player on the court and, and, and whatnot and, and how his game evolved as he got older. I, I think my lasting memory, of anything, is just being able to see someone grow and change along with you. Like, he he's 10 years older than, than you and I, right? But, like, we grew up with him in our lives. Yeah. Um, and and we saw him go through all these things of being the the young punk kid to the superstar to the the guy who looked like he was going to be father of the year, right? Like all these things, I think they all combine into one memory. Um, and and a lot of that is certainly put together this week when we can go back and look at it with 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 a different set of eyeballs. Um, and, and and part of that just you know it's it's just going back and trying to cherish what you didn't cherish at the time certainly, but I, yeah I, I don't think there's there there's one memory because well, it there was, was Co- just too much stuff.
2: Kobe was an icon in the sense that like you didn't need to have a memory like you just have like the override right. my overriding memory of Kobe is watching Laker games with my dad, and seeing Kobe hit a shot covered from three that he has no business making, falling out of bounds, whatever Mm. it would be. And like my lasting memory of Kobe was, are you kidding me? Of course he made that shot. Like the number of times that I would have said, watched a basketball game and said, are you kidding me? Of course he made that shot. Like Kobe just annoyed the crap out of me in that sense. But it was, it was, you know, it was who he was. But I'm totally with you. Like Kobe won me over in retirement, the way that he retired Every interview that I saw with him after he retired, the way that I saw him being with his daughters, you know, I listened to, to the Dan Patrick show. He was on there a couple of years ago, and I remember that interview. Like they replayed that interview this week on the show, and I remember going, like, I remember listening to that interview and thinking, man, Kobe's like kind of cool. Like Kobe, like gets it. Kobe is is you know, and and I've read the article. You know, my family's Catholic, and so. There was that article a few years ago talking about Kobe's faith and how it helped him get through the 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 trouble in the aughts and and all of the difficulties that he's had in his life, all the hurdles he'd have he's asked to overcome, personal you know failings that he's have to, he, that he has had to overcome, and you just like you agree, like you saw him grow as a human being, like like the epitome of growing as a human being, and that's what is again my my overriding memory of him. Is is that like the transformation of him to the point where I transformed as a person, where I could also come to my senses later on and say, "No, I appreciate Kobe. Like I appreciate him as a ball player and as a as a as a person." And I think that's why it, it hit me. I, I did not think it would hit me that hard as it did on Sunday because, like I said, I'm I'm not a Kobe Bryant fan. I'm not a Laker fan. I'm just right. somebody who grew up in L.A. and he was in the backdrop of all the sports moments of my life because he was in L.A. So, yeah, it's been it's been weird. But that's the kind of impact that he had on people. He didn't even have to be a Laker fan for Kobe Bryant to have an impact on your life.
0: Yeah, I, I'm the same way. I, re- I really, this has been, I've taken this way harder than I ever thought I would have. Um, just because you think of, you 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 put it all together, and like I I was talking to my dad, like the the idea that you you w- turn on the TV and the cryon says Kobe Bryant dead, like that. like how do how how do we comprehend that? You know, like I don't know. It's just because of something that's been so ingrained. You know what and it is.
2: You know what it is. Uh, like like you said, like seeing the cryon. Like I was living in, in disbelief for a day. Every time I saw it, I saw it all over my phone, every computer, TV, everywhere. Like you keep seeing it and then you're like he he can't die. Like I I just had the, the that sandlot quote jump into my head like heroes live forever but legends never die and like Kobe was a legend. So like the idea that he could die is just still just I mean it's it's, it's impossible to process at that point. And then you think about, like, I've been reflecting this whole week about Kobe as a legend. He he will have a statue at Lakers Center, at, at the Staples Center. His, you know, jersey retired, and he'll go into the Hall of Fame, and he'll be the legend. He will be a legend forever. As long as basketball is a sport, he will be a legend. What I've reflected on this week is, like, his daughter looked like a legend in the making. And, like, the the sadness that I feel over Kobe going so soon part of it is the what what could have been for for Gigi and what will never be and you know how cool it would have been to see her come into her own and that we're never going to get to see that and and you know aside from the obvious you can't imagine what it's like to be his wife and the, the other daughters or any of the friends that are you know of anybody that was on the any f- friends and family members of anyone that was on that helicopter but like the what could have been with the young people on that helicopter are really what I've been thinking about over the past couple of days because right. you know we have this hypothetical argument about if USC beats Alabama and we know we're never going to get the answer to that and there's a sense of like loss in this case where we're never going to get to see what those humans were gonna become, unfortunately.
0: I don't I don't know that I would compare the
2: two. I mean, I, it's a. it's not a it's a little bit of a clumsy comparison, but I'm nothing bit. if not clumsy, so
0: but yeah. Um it's been a rough week. Been a rough week indeed. So uh thanks for listening as always here uh, to Rain of Troy Radio. You know where to reach us Rain of Troy at fanside.com is our email address Phone number 213-373-1872. Over on Patreon, patreon.com slash of Troy. Get all of our bonus episodes for as little as 555 a month. If you don't want to commit to all our bonus episodes, you can get all of our main shows commercial free for 333 a month. Uh for 555, you get all of our main shows uh ad-free as well. So Check that out, patreon.com slash rain of Troy. Uh, Alicia, final word. The final word is.
2: Uh. Is. I don't know, I have a bunch floating around in my head right now. Uh, the final word is, is, uh, yeah, love. Tell tell the people you love in your life that you love them all the time. Sounds like a good
1: shot. Till next time, we'll see you. See ya. Midi clinicians are menopause experts, offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it?